for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, we are live with another episode, episode number two of season 23. And now, so last night, we dropped DJ's October 1st set. Um, there's a reason why I did not drop an episode. Um, it's uh, we're obviously going to get into it today and everything, but usually, you know, we're getting a little backed up already, and it's not even like the third. It's the third day of season. You know, we always said these are going to be semi live, but we had a little bit of a log jam on uh, Monday night, and uh, DJ was the only one that could get uh, an episode done, and and I still even you know dropped his the day after, so. Um, I think people will, will be okay with it, but, uh, had a little log jam, but we are back on even keel. We are on the railroad tracks and we are heading into, to bigger and greater things, man. I I'm happy to be here. What's, what's going on with you, DJ? I I'm just, I'm smiling over here looking at you smiling, buddy, man. Cause, uh, you know, when you say log jam, you know, the, the log jam, here you know on a on a day delay kind of for the you know the the 23 season it's a good reason to be log jam but we'll just we'll just leave it at that yeah it was um <clears throat> it was good we're gonna be uh in this episode we're gonna be recapping my october 1st sit so opening day sit um but yeah let's uh let's let's get into it a little bit you know first and foremost um the weather, if we want to talk about weather right off the rip, it, um, it was really hot. You know, it was like, I think it was a high of 81. Okay. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a low of like in the sixties. So I did hunt with, uh, with my boss, Kevin Leach, uh, October 1st morning. And I don't want to get into that hunt at all. We did see some deer, but it was a slow morning. Um, we'll get to, we'll get into that on, on a later day, but, uh, it was just good to get back in the saddle 
the preferable proverbial. I've always tried to say that and I can never say it, but we're, we're back in the saddle and, and, um, it was good in filming and everything. And then, uh, you know, my whole game plan was to, you know, is to, was to go in the one acre. And that was my plan opening night. Um, but the weather, like, you know, what moon phase are we in right now? I should probably, should have probably wrote those notes down, but we're just after a full moon. Yeah, we're coming up, we're, you know, I think two days, October, October 1st, I think was two, two or three days coming off the full moon and a day before, like we talked about on the last episode, a day before the red moon actually starting. But, you know, I, I love that we start, you know, you kind of started with the weather talk, but you brought up the one acre and where, where I think we actually really need to start with this, Aaron, is I need to, I think we need to rewind well, hang and on really just a second. Before we do rewind, I, I, I do, because I just pulled up my weather facts. I want to get the weather out there so everybody does know. Mm-hmm. Um, so real quick, just because we were on weather, I want to talk about that. So the moon phase we're in is a waning gibbous, gibbous or gibbous, whatever you want to call it. The pressure is 30.27. So to me, that's a pretty high pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's what I would call high pressure. And, you know, the wind, there was no wind, basically. There was a little bit of wind. But it was a southwest wind, okay? And we've and you know we've had crazy east winds for I don't know the last two weeks. It seems like just out of the east, either southeast or straight east, and it flipped and it went to southwest and uh, works great for the one acre where my my you know my setup was my location where I was hanging. Um, and I actually hybrid hunted. I hunted out of the saddle, but I the platform I was using was just a tree stand platform. You know, the hybrid hunting, hybrid saddle hunting is kind of getting to become a thing. But I had a tree stand there, and it worked out awesome just because that tree stand's been there for a while. And you know, in these, and we'll get into it, but these little woodlots they're really hard to get into when you know the deer are really close bedding. And we're gonna get into how close, it, you know how close it was and how calm. So I'm glad I had that set up already there, but it worked perfect for me to get up there and just use that as the platform and, uh, and saddle hunt. So yeah, but let's get into what you were talking about doing the little rewind. Yeah. I, you know, when I think about the story we're going to talk about today, you know, having a podcast allows us to give people a full look at what sometimes, you know, killing a buck really takes. And you talk about the one acre, but so I want to rewind and let's, let's go back to the very beginning of, of 2023. And I know that you've done even more work, you know, well before 2023, but let's just paint a picture of what you've actually done inside the one acre. But before that, I got, I do have a question. When you call it one acre, is that a nickname or are we talking a true one acre? No, it's a true one acre. It's all it is. It's one acre of timber. Um, it's got... So for any like new listeners, I've talked about this probably, you know, probably too much to be honest with you, but, um, it's on a farm that obviously I can hunt, um, have permission on it. It's a, it's a part of a, like an 80 acre farm that has one acre of timber on it. And it's got a couple wooded fence rows that, that, uh, go into two different sides of it. And it's a triangle shape. The, the timber is, and to back to actually go back even farther in 2016 was when I got permission on this farm. And, uh, 2017, I went in there with a good friend of mine and, uh, we went in there and I wanted to make, there was no understory. I wanted to make more, more understory, make it to where deer would want to hang out in there more. And I'm, I'm really going to skim through this part just because 
there's a lot of podcasts I've done before, like back in the day that talk about the one acre. So if you want to know more about that and all the work I did on it, I know they're back there. But we went in there and hinge cut a lot and just really thickened it up and the deer really took to it. Um, but I, what I found out is that it, uh, it made it more difficult to hunt because the deer just wanted to be in it all the time. It was really hard to get into because it's only one acre. Um, so I, I don't get to hunt it a lot because it's just, you really had to be strategic with your sits and when you go in on the right wind and, you know, you might only have one location to be able to get into a tree, you know, and not booger anything because it is small. And, you know, in the past I've had really good trail cam sightings and everything, like a lot of, you know, good bucks, midday, daylight, a lot in there because they feel safe in there. And my whole thing was just trying to attract the does to get the bucks to come there in the rut. So that's kind of like the gist of the one acre. Um, but uh, it was all thick. And then uh, la- coming into last fall, uh, a neighboring farmer, his farm field would always flood. And we have a, a creek that runs through the one acre. Well, he wanted to go in there and like put a tile in or do something so his field wouldn't flood. So he actually took like a mulching head on a skid loader and made like a big swath through the whole one acre, like through my hinge cutting and everything. And I was bummed at first, but then I'm like, you know what, this, this, you know, this might be good. And dude, I, I found out that this is the best thing that could ever happen to it. And Mm -hmm. to kind of paint everybody, everybody as a picture. So the the triangle, (coughs) excuse me, the triangle, um, I'm sitting on the North West point and the, the, the swath that they cut through there goes from the Northwest point to the Southeast point. Okay. And it's about, it's about 80 yards long. And then on each side of it is thick. I mean, it is thick. It's got water in there. It stays. And then, you know, there, uh, the one farm field is all corn this year. So there's good cover there and everything. Uh, so that's kind of the one acre in, in a nutshell of how it looks like now and how it's morphed into it. So to answer DJ's question, back in early spring, I went in there and I'm like, man, I'd really like to do a food plot in here and just to maybe kind of give them a little green source. The kicker was, though, is there was a lot of wood chips on the ground and I really and, and all the fields are usually planted, so I can't like drive any equipment back there. So I always have to walk it back and it's it's uh, I'd say it's about a half mile, you know, walk mm-hmm. back there. So I'm thinking like how do I how do I like get a food plot in here? So after the frost left and everything and everything was kinda, you know, thawing out, I went in there with a backpack leaf blower. And I blew, it took me hours and I blew all the wood chips back and I, you know, I filmed all this stuff. So it, hopefully it will see the light of day, but I, I, I blew all the lee or the, the wood chips and leaves back. And then at that time, you know, I knew where I wanted to put the, where the kill location was going to be, where the stand was already. And, um, I grabbed a thorn apple tree and I cut it down. And there's no, there's no overhanging looking branches on this because they cut everything, you know, they made sure they got it all. <clears throat> so I dug a hole and I put a thorn apple 
like a licking branch tree, you know, 30 yards from the tree, right in the middle of the food plot. And, uh, you know, so I didn't get to put a, uh, a spring plot in. I, I just didn't have the time and I didn't get to put it in. So, you know, we partnered with Buck Bourbon this year and I was really hoping to put a Buck Bourbon food plot in there for a spring plot to see how it'd go. Luckily, I mean, honestly, I'm sure it would have done fine, but we had a really dry, like, spring and summer and everything. So I don't, I don't know if that would have helped or not. But uh, come into August, I'm like, okay, I, I got one shot. I need to go back there in one day and, uh, and get it all done. But I hadn't been back there all summer. So I go back there, and of course, it's like, like nipple-high grass. Just like, And mm. I'm like, great. You know, so now what? I literally told, I remember telling you like, dude, I'm not going to put a food plot in here. I'm just going to leave it. Like, I just didn't have the time to do it and, and everything. I'm like, I'm just going to leave it, you know, and just, it'd be a wash. But then I was like, you know what? Screw that. I'm doing it. So I went and got the weed whip. I went back and weed whipped the whole thing. Took me a while. Cause it was like nipple high grass. Um, I weed whipped the whole thing and then I put, uh, what, so I weed whipped it. I spread all the seed, okay, all the buck bourbon seed, or what did I do? I think I spread the seed first, actually. I did. I think I spread, I think I did. Maybe not. I can't remember, but it, there's, what, what my plan was is to spread the seed, weed whip everything, and have the, have the, um, the grass go over the seed, and, and then, um, it would be good. It, like, it'd make as a, as a, like a, you know, a good moisture barrier basically to, to keep moisture in the ground if we weren't going to get any rain. Now I cannot remember what I did. That sucks. But anyway, <laughs> I weed whipped it and I actually killed it with Roundup. I went back there with a back or a sprayer, just a hand sprayer, and I killed it. And then I think I planted it. That's what I think I did. Regardless, I'm like, this is the best thing I got. And then I put a vine, I zip tied a vine to that licking branch just to make it a little more enticing put a camera on it okay that was august 11th i did all that and i knew i wasn't going to go back in there until the first day i hunted it that was the plan okay just going to monitor it through camera yes cell cam i was going to monitor it through a cell cam and you know and just whenever i could make my surgical strike that's what i was going to do and um you know so i was getting a lot of consistent deer in there as far as does and I'd get some little bucks and everything throughout the summer. And the kicker was at the day after I planted that food plot, we got like four inches of rain and that whole food plot flooded the whole thing. I'm like, crap. Cause I could see the water rise on the camera. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this, this is not good. You know? So I got back a hold of Jack at Buck Bourbon. I'm like, Hey, is there any way that I could get some more seed just so I could go in there and top dress it? And hopefully something will, well, they sent me more seed, but I didn't get an opportunity to go back in there and top dress it. And it actually flooded again. The food plot flooded again like a week later or something like that. I'm like, crap, there's going to be no seed left in here. I'm like, it just, you know, all this freaking hard work I did to it and it's like nothing. Well, I like I said, it just got busy. You know, we did a lot of camping this year and it was just like family, you know, family time. I just my priorities, just keeping those straight and everything. And in in a week to 10 days goes by and like a doe comes in the food plot, triggers it. And all I see is this carpet of green. And I'm like, oh my gosh, 
Let's let's <laughs> go. Even if it's just that little spot, I don't care. There's green in there. That's a win, you know. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of how it all went down and the kind of the work to get to where we're at today. Um, and you know, a couple of big takeaways, and I've said it before on these little woodlots, the biggest thing that you can do is just stay out, just stay out. Mm -hmm. Like the last time I was in there was August, (coughs) excuse me, August 11th. And then I went in there October 1st night, you know, and it, it, those deer just feel so comfortable. And I'll get into like, you know, the deer that I did see October 1st night, I'll get into like what they were doing and what really made me grin when I was in the tree of like, I played this right. Like I stayed out I normally wouldn't do that, but it just, it worked out as far as they just felt like they lived in there. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I think that's really honestly the top, you know, the name of the game when it comes to small woodlots like that, you know, and if you really think about it, one acre you know that that is that's not a lot but all a lot of times it only takes one tree in one good spot to kill it you know a good buck and i think that you know there's probably a lot of guys maybe even myself included over the years where it's like you know someone may see a property that's got five acres and you think that's small you know or it's like a, a true one acre and then you know them going through there and putting that tile in they took out a lot of the one acre, you know, like you talk about, you know, if you, if it's 80 yards wide or whatever you said it was, dude, that, that takes a lot of cover out of the one acre and it, you very easily could have been discouraged and maybe even walked away. Yeah. But it's actually 80 cr- yards long. So it goes mm, like okay, the whole thing yeah. and it's about, I'd have to measure it, but it's probably, if I had to guess, probably 15 yards wide, you know, but it mm-hmm. was a good portion, but on each side of it, like, I can only shoot in the plot. That's it. Like, yep, if, yep. if deer on each side of the plot, it is so thick because all the hinge cut and stuff I've done in the past, I, they use the crap out of it, but I can't see them in it. Yeah. But, it, you know, like where I give you a lot of credit, though, is like you kept your mind open. And instead of, you know, like I said, being discouraged and maybe walking away from it because you lost a lot of that cover, you, you know, you had that the thought of like, hey, maybe I'll maybe I'll plant a food plot in it. And I'll, you know, kind of fast forward and looking at it now, it's like, just like you said, like that food plot, like they're surrounded by covering them. So they feel safe and no one else that did. It created two edges inside that cover. And, you know, these whitetails are such edge animals. Where you watch however they travel, they always like to use the edge. And maybe, you know, that, that being, that tile work could have been a, a blessing in disguise in there, you know, for for many years but it's 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 been it's intriguing to watch kind of the evolution of the one acre right because it's it's literally one acre i mean i hope someone out there listening to this story thinks about well heck i got one acre maybe i should you know maybe i should learn it you know and and i know that the one thing probably that for sure aaron for you with your one acre the one thing that has probably been the hardest lesson to learn over the years with it is the truly not stepping foot in it until it is like your percentage, like needs to be over 90% chance of killing a deer when you walk into that. Yeah. Cause it's it very easily could be one and done, it, especially like you said, how much they're betting inside that one acre. It very much is like, I think last year I'd have to think, I don't even think I sat or sat in the one acre last year. 
The year before, I think I sat maybe once. The year before that, I maybe sat two or three times. But that's about all you get. You, mm-hmm. you know, it, I'm lucky enough to have another, a couple other properties. I have a, a lease and then I have a couple of other permission properties that I can kind of like keep the pressure off. Now, if this was your only spot, you really, you, you can't get discouraged that you only can hunt it about four or five times a year and they got to be the right yeah. times. So um, that's the main key. And a couple other keys. There's cover in there and there's water in there. There's always water in that creek. So they always have something to come drink. And then I put a little green source in there for them and, you know, they're hammering it. It won't, they won't even let it get it up that high, you know? So there's, but there's not a lot of deer where, where this is at. There's not a, not a ton of deer. The deer density is kind of low to be honest with you. But, um, I always said like, you know, when you do see deer, you might not see a lot of deer, but when you do see them, you're probably going to see the right one. I I've, I've said that since the beginning and, um, you know, it's, that still holds true. Yeah. I got two questions coming right to the top of my mind about the one acre right now. Um, I know how much you enjoy glassing and I know how much, you know, standing corn kind of hinders you being able to glass, but do you believe when you do have corn around your one acre, do you believe it kind of makes it hunt bigger as in like, I'm not saying you have more areas to hunt, but it, it just is providing more cover around it. So maybe it may hold a deer longer into the season or maybe even more deer. hundred percent does it a hundred percent benefits it. Um, I will say it's still good on bean years, but mm-hmm. on bean years, it almost, it almost, uh, moves the the good like buck activity back more towards like the rut time frame. You know what I mean? End of October into like, but if when it's corn like this year, you know, early season, that's when that I think really gets hot, and that's what kind of what it it showed true. But honestly, like I said, with that farmer cutting this stuff through there, now I have the most dialed I could have it. And now it's just maintaining it and rinse and repeat. We talk about it a lot, rinse and repeat. Once you have something that works, I mean, go back to, don't, don't, don't try to fix the, you know, don't try to reinvent the wheel. I know it works and just, you just got to stick to the plan and it'll happen. Yep. Okay. And my, my second question is, and this is a pure curiosity question. Maybe I can learn something from this. When I think of most one-acre woodlots, I think of them as open, and I think a lot of them, if a deer is in them, they're probably visually using them to their advantage more than anything. When you speak about your one-acre, you talk about how thick it is. In your opinion, what is, what you know, the most mature buck in the area, if he's bedding in there, why is he exactly bedding in there? Like, what is what is his biggest advantage to be in that one-acre? His biggest biggest advantage would be there's a couple things. So food, okay, um, water, but there is so much cover that he can get out of the hot heat and hot, uh, you know, early season or anything like he can get out of the hot heat. But I I don't necessarily think the bucks are betting in the one acre. They are literally coming there because there's does that bet in there. Mm-hmm. The does are what uses it the most. So it's really cool because I've seen does bed up in there. And then I've seen, I've actually physically from the, from a tree, watch bucks just circle downwind. They, they might not even go in the one acre. 
but they'll circle downwind of you know the the field edge of downwind of the timber, and they'll scent check that whole thing, and then they'll go to the next woodlot. I've seen them run across a mile open field after they checked the one acre, and then they'll go north across a mile field wide open to the next woodlot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you, that's the cool thing about these little woodlots when you're in the rut phase is like you literally don't know. You might think you know every buck in the area, but you don't know what's going to show up because as long as you can hold a hot doe or have does in your area, hold on to your seat, man. Like, because it, you might just sit all day, but you're going to get a crack at a good one. I really firmly believe yeah. that. So I don't think these bucks are really betting in the one acre. I think it's more of a doe thing and these bucks are just coming to check on them. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, in this past summer, we've had a, a couple guests on that talk about kind of that, that same thing that you just said about, you know, even them running circuits, you know, outside the rut and in the rut with these little woodlots, you know, but now that this, this little one acre, like this is the type of thick, it sounds like that if, Let's say you came in on the on the north end of it, and if you did bump the buck you were after, if he was in there, he could slip out the other end, and you would never even know. It's not never know like it. that's the type of thick we're talking about. Yep, and that was my biggest concern going in. You know, on the first was like, if they're bedded in that one acre, it is really hard to get in there. Even though the stand is mm-hmm. on the field edge, looking back into the timber. If you if I was to go in there and bump him out first, I wouldn't even sit. I'd get I'd just leave, you know, and go so because it's that that's how touchy feely these things can be. It, it's really, really you gotta be on top of everything you're doing. Um, and we'll get into like my approach to the stand because it was crazy. It took me forever yeah. to do it. Yeah. I, I think we broke down the one acre really well. You know, we talked about, you know, all the work you did in the off season and also talked about how hard it is to stay out of it. Right. Like I, I get it, you know, like especially in a piece of property that maybe you can, you know, you can actually put some, you know, land work into, it's probably appealing to go out there and do some of that. So, you know, probably maybe the hardest part of the whole battle is to stay out. But is there anything else that you wanted to break down on the one acre before we get into the planning of October 1st and the night of, um, you know, hand tools, man, uh, a, a backpack blower, a weed whip, uh, a sprayer, a hand sprayer and a cedar as all I, uh, mm. a rake. I did have a rake. I did. Um, when all those, uh, when all the, uh, mulch and stuff wood like chips. that was on the, yeah, the wood chips, I blew them. And then the ones that I couldn't get, I would rake. So I, I spent a lot of time just you know, poor man food plot, as Bill Winky would call it. Just poor man, you know, plotting it, and uh, things can work out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, let, let's let's get into it, buddy. Let's let's hear about how October first went, or the day before, or anything that led up into your hunt October first night. So to go back a little bit, uh, you know, there's a deer that I'm looking at. His name's No Go. You know, everybody that listens to the podcast knows about him. And if you don't listen to the podcast and you're new to it, no go. Literally, he got his name because I wasn't going to shoot him. Um, I didn't have no intentions. Okay, I shouldn't say I didn't have any intentions. He's a buck that, like, you look at him and it's like, man, he's got a lot of potential. You know, he can go one more year. That'd be great. But, you know, I, I never want to be that person that's like, well, if I don't shoot him, the neighbor shoots him. Because you become the neighbor then, you know. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I did catch wind. This is 100% honest. This is, I don't want to give up too much, but this is something uh, uh, something that you need to keep your ears open, okay? Um, some people in the area that hunt the area uh, were telling me that they have a really good deer on camera and he's showing up a lot. And they told me, they described the deer to me and everything and basically told me that he was, he was going to be on their hit list, you know? And I, and, and I don't, I should preface this. I found out about this information after I like told myself I was going to shoot this deer. Okay. They didn't tell me that. And I was like, oh, well, if they're going to shoot, I'm going to shoot. That is not how this went down. I probably should preface that first. That's not. Not at all how this went down. Honestly, I've been getting pictures of this deer. I've got two years of history with this deer, okay? I think. My good friend of mine, Cole, he brought to my attention after we're looking at trail cam pictures and comparing, he seems to think that it could be a different deer, which it very well could be. Um, so we can get into that as well. But I don't know. I th- I think it is, but it, he's got me th- thinking another hot take that it might not be, and it, it, he's got a good point. But anyway, I watched this deer last year. Good looking deer, like just a baby giant. You know what I mean? Just a younger deer that's got a lot of potential. And I watched him, you know, through the glass. I didn't get a lot of pictures of him, but through the glass, I mean, I watched him a lot. Even after season, I watched him all the way up till he shed. Well, and he he had your attention last year too because you knew his potential, yeah. and and so like watching him last year, also I mean you and I have talked about this deer more than any other deer that you're hunting, and we talked a lot about what some of his tendencies were even last year back then. Yeah, yeah, and tendencies his tendencies last year to this year really play into this year. Um, that's why I'm I also think it might be the same deer because it very much a lot of the same. So I can't remember what day I got. I got a picture of him one day. I, the thing is all the pictures I'd get of him were not great pictures. You, you, you could tell he, he was a good looking buck, but it was like, man, ah, you know, like, I don't know. That's why I gave him the name no go. It's like, yeah, maybe I would. And then, then I tell myself like, it'd be a game time decision. So when I do that, it's like, well, you know, and we're going to name him no go. And I told you, I'm like, dude, I'm not going to shoot him. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to let him go until I got like one of the better pictures of him. He's full frontal on the camera, hitting a scrape, um, on a different part of the farm, hitting a scrape. And then I'm, I'm starting to look at him like, man, I think he's a lot better than like antler wise and, and body wise than I really thought. Like, was that Aaron was, I'm trying to think back. Was that the first time that you sh- like? It was a daylight picture of him. Was yep. that was that like the first time? Yeah, right out because of velvet. The, you know, he was right out of velvet. It was like early. I want to say it was like early September, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, yeah. You could really, you could really see that darkness on his lower part of his rack, and you could see, you know, arguably he looked. Man, he looked more massive out of velvet than he did in velvet. Yes, right. We've talked about it before. We're like, I think that, like, I'm telling you guys, 
the difference in an IR pitcher to a daytime colored pitcher on a deer's rack will will change the way he looks. Yeah, and and basically, I wouldn't say all. I maybe had a couple daylights of him, but through the through velvet, I didn't get a lot of pictures of him. And when I did, they were dark, you know. And you and I've talked mm-hmm. about it, and it's pretty well known. Like you listen to a podcast or hear like dark pictures make a deer look smaller, not not as massive, I should say. So this deer sheds and he shows up, boom, right in, right plain as day, right on a scrape. I don't want to describe the scrape, but right in a scrape, David knows the picture I'm talking about. He gives me a front on look. He gives me a a back or a side look and everything. And I'm like, man, I should really rethink this. And, you know, a good friend of mine, Cole, I talked about Cole, him and I confide in each other a lot about deer and what we're chasing and everything. And I sent him a picture. I'm like, man, I said, he. I think he looks a lot better than I thought. And he's like, there's no way that you can pass that deer up. That deer is a stud. So then I really started dissecting a little bit more. And, and, um, I started, you know, going back to like what I've always told myself and anybody that's listened to this podcast for any length of time, my criteria has always been, I would love it to be a three-year-old if I can here in Michigan, this is my Michigan standards, but it's gotta be the top 10% of the bucks that I can shoot that I can hunt or that I have on camera or that I've even glass or anything. And amongst all the properties I can hunt, you know, looking at all the sightings and all the pictures I have of deer, he is either the biggest deer or the second biggest deer that I have to hunt this year. So which puts him in the top 10% of the bucks. And I'm like, you know, and then I started thinking to myself, I'm like this, like, why wouldn't I be chasing this deer? This deer would be one of my best deer in Michigan, you know? Um, so then, you know, I tried to score him on camera. I would, I would, I really wanted to see as part of my, part of my whole system. I really want to see what scores, not everything, but I'm not going to lie. Big antlers make me happy too. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it just is what it is. Um, I got the score sheet right here. I put it on a sticky note, put it on my computer. Okay. And, uh, I scored him at 123 is what I put him at. I'm like, man, if he goes 120, I said, that is 120s for me. Like, that's like, you know, those bucks, those are hard to come around, come by around here. So from right there, you know, I already had already established his name no-go for, you know, a while now. And uh, I'm like, well, he's just going to stay no-go. And then my daughter goes, dad, I don't like the name no-go. I think we should name him (laughs) Mr. Top Hat. And I'm like, all right, we can, we can call him Mr. Top Hat. So because mm-hmm. I showed him, my, she looks to, likes to look at like trail cam pictures on the computer with me and everything. And she goes, he looks like he's got a top hat on his head. And I'm like, okay, I could get on top of that. So <laughs> to her, it was Mr. Top Hat. So, um, yeah. And, you know, so he was, he's on the list and, uh, you know, he, sh- he obviously shed his velvet and he started showing up pretty regularly. Uh, and, but doing a lot of the same things he was doing last year, hitting same, the same scrapes, glassing him in the same areas around the same times and the same days and everything. And I'm like, boy, this deer is, I got it. I got to think he's just kind of staying with the program and doing what he's doing. And, uh, you know, coming into the season, I didn't, you know, we talked about it last week and everything. I I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea. Um, but you know, I knew I've had some sightings, sightings. I've had cell cam trail pictures of him in the one acre. That is part of my, my game is like, 
in those I've I've said it before. Cell cams work great in these little wood lots to know if I, where I don't want to pressure deer basically, okay? Um and he was showing up in there, not all daylight, but he was, you know, you could tell he was showing up enough in the one acre, but also in the surrounding areas that I, you know, he was showing up in a, oh, how DJ, how big is it? Probably, I'd say a square mile, square mile. He, in a square mile, mm. I knew he was doing a circuit. Okay. And I knew yep. the odds in my favor were just go to the, just go to a spot that works for the best of the wind. But it was kind of like a, it was kind of a punt sit in a way, like where I could still be in the game, like an observation in a way. I could still be in the game, but not screw anything. I wanted good entry and good exit, and I wanted to be in the game still. So, honestly, with the south wind coming, it eliminated just about every set or every location I have, you know, because with the, the amount of timber, I don't have a lot. You can't really hunt a lot. And, you know, process of elimination, it was the one acre is where I could go and where I could get mm-hmm. in. And if if I didn't kill him, I could get out without him you know, without me boogering them, basically. Yeah, not o- not only a, a south wind, but a very, very light wind, you know, so it's, you know, if you look at where you hunted, you know, to keep even at a low wind, you could probably get a true, a true breeze through there, and then, but also being able to get in there quietly, mm-hmm. and that that's a huge factor, like, when you have a low wind speeds, real sunny bluebird day, what like we talked about earlier what leaves are on the ground they're crunchy like the grass is dry like it's you got to factor in all that stuff too yeah and you know i didn't know where he was betting i had a good good idea i don't want to say it on here because you know mm-hmm. some local people might listen i'm not gonna lie and I, i've got a pretty good understanding of like you know the area i i i am almost pretty positive if that makes sense i knew where he was betting but that was with a certain wind okay and every time he would you know daylight in camera daylight's the new term for cell cam so every time he would daylight um he would it would be on an east wind okay and i didn't know if he was jay hooking coming into it and getting the wind in his favor and then he'd come in and hit that scrape and uh so I didn't know if it was like an east wind deal or whatnot, but he was he was coming into the food plot and the scrape at a certain certain direction. So that was kind of like messing with my head, but I'm like, you know what? I've got the perfect wind to get in there. And if I see him, I, I get a sighting, then that, that just adds to the story, it adds to the info. But maybe I'll be able to kill him. I don't know. Um because the wind didn't make sense for if a deer wanted to use his his nose to get in there to make sure it it didn't make sense but it made sense for me it wasn't a just off wind nothing it was literally a wind that just was good for the tree that i was sitting in and i knew i wouldn't blow any deer now the kicker was i have to walk up the cornfield edge and i figured with a south wind or a west wind he would be bedding in the corn because of just how all that works out, where how it lays out. So we had a southwest wind. So I knew getting into this tree was going to be very difficult. And there was, like you said, there was no wind, hardly at all. So 
I uh, I don't know. Do you want me to jump ahead, or where where do you want to go next? You're you're the one hosting this podcast. <laughs> Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No, I, dude, you, get, you, you, you've set the hook, man. I, I'm following along right now, yeah. man. I want you to keep rolling through the hunt, man. So oh, hold, hold on. I will, I, I will ask one question. You know, you talked about that maybe the wind wasn't in their favor to be in that the one acre or whatever do you is there at all a thought in your mind that like when those deer filter back in in the morning that if they if they filter back in there and however they enter it they can probably they probably know whether or not something's in there that once they kind of bed down for the day or in and around that one acre that they feel fully safe because of it not being all that big and in their mind it's like if any if any human or coyote comes in here, we're going to know about it. 100%. And that's why the does bed in the same beds. It doesn't matter if they're the same does or different does. They have the same beds pinpointed year in and year out. That's why they bed there is because they've got the perfect scenario, any direction, whether it's a coyote, whether it's a human, whether it's something, they can get out of there and they feel safe. And honestly, it's so thick in there. They can hunker down. You could walk right by them if they don't, and they might not budge, you know? Um, yeah. Yep. So... That was my biggest concern going in. So like midday, I was watching some football and hanging out with the family. And, uh, you know, my, I wanted to leave at like four o'clock to, to head to the tree. And um, I didn't know what time I wanted to be sitting by, but I, I, but I figured with it being warm. Now, l- let me preface this, okay? Now, I have said I do have a cell cam in there. I hadn't had any sightings of him in three days, I think it was three days in the one acre at all daylight dark not not one okay um but i did have a key piece of information from after i after i stopped after i hunted with kevin that morning and i came back and i did a little glass operation and i caught him slipping back to bed okay in the glass i caught him slipping back and i knew Based on a certain wind, which would have been an east wind, and we didn't have east, I knew, I figured I knew where he was going to be bedded, if that makes sense. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I I got you. It's it's almost like you know sometimes how they say we're like, well, this you know sometimes no information is still information. Where like if you knew you didn't have that win and you still got eyes on your target, then it's like a process of elimination at that point. Yeah, and you know it was mid morning. It was getting hot. Honestly, did not think I was going to see anything, but it was worth the drive. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I mentioned that there's a lot of standing corn. Well, there's these waterways that are in between these corn, this, this corn, and it's a low area, and there's some shaded areas. And I just happened to catch him going back. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So where I caught him is about 500 yards away from the one acre. So I knew with the process of elimination that I'm still in the chips tonight. Now I can't hunt just anywhere. I've narrowed it down to the only place I can hunt. So it was like my only option. And, um, so that was exciting to know that I'm like, okay, either he's going to bet in the waterway or in the corn, or I don't know because it wasn't, it wasn't an East wind. Like I said, in an East wind, I have a really good idea where he bets. Um, so Midday, I'm like, well, I'm going to I'm going to slip in, leave at four and try to get in there. Well, coming up the field edge and everything, my biggest concern was hopefully he wasn't bedded in the corn and I'd bump him, you know, or hopefully he wasn't bedded in the one acre and I'd bump him or does like I just didn't I don't want to blow any deer at any moment. So, yeah, because in, in that scenario, you bump one deer, you bumped all of them. Exactly. Right now, they're so herded up still. Like, they are pretty herded up, especially does. Um, that, that could be your whole shot. And let's say I bump a group of does in the one acre that might push into the other bedding where I think he's at. That might blow him out, too. And that just I just want it to be how it's been for the last, you know, 11 months, 12 months, whatever, you know. So... I get to about a hundred yards from my where I want to set up where the tree's at and everything. And now it's literally one step every two minutes. There's so many acorns on the ground. So there's leaves falling. So it's like you it was ridiculous, dude. I'm sweating. It's like 80 degrees. <laughs> you know, I'm sweating and I'm thinking to myself, why the hell am I doing this? You know? Hmm. And uh but I'm still trying to listen and make sure I don't kick anything. So I make my way up. It took me a good bit. It took me a good clip. So I get to, <laughs> I get 10 yards from the tree. Okay. I can see the tree. And I, I go to the GoPro because I'm filming myself. I'm like, the tree right there? You see that tree? And I point at it and you can see it's only 10 yards away. I said, it's going to take me another 30 minutes to get there. You know, <laughs> I'm 10 yards from it and I'm sitting in an oak and it's dropping like crazy. And there's acorns everywhere. So. There was a couple key things. A motorcycle decided to just be on the road and just this guy's just honing on her and it's loud. And I'm like, I made like eight steps as that motorcycle goes. I mean, it was loud. So Mm -hmm. I I get to about, you know, three, four yards from the tree and I'm just like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to wait for a wind gust because I eventually, I, I was getting every so often, I was getting some wind gusts. So. Uh, the wind kind of picked up. Well, I had also had a blue jay above me that was just hated me, did not like me there. He was just chattering at me. And I'm like, every time you chatter, I'm going to take a step then, you know, and he'd chatter and I would take a step. He'd chatter and I'd take a step. He was loud. So I get to the, get to the base of the tree and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start my ascent. Like, remind you, 
I already had this tree stand was already there. So the sticks and everything were already there, which is a key part to it. Cause I figured that these deer would be bit, not necessarily him, but he could be. I figured they were bedded within 80, 90, maybe even 100 yards. Okay. Mm-hmm. And with no wind, you know, w- one wrong step could, could blow it. So long story, even longer. I waited, you know, for wind gusts or anything like that, or a car or a truck going by or something like that. And I'd climb a little higher and climb a little higher. So I get up in the tree, finally up there, and I get tethered off and everything. And I get the camera out. It took me forever. Took me forever. Sweating. I get both the cameras set up, get my bow ready, get everything done. I get in the saddle and I'm hunting. I looked at my watch, 530. Okay. And it, um, I'm like, we're, we're here. We're, we're good to go. And, uh, now it's just kind of sit and wait. And, um, you know, I did an interview on the the camera and got some shots, got some pictures and, you know, it was a really nice sunset. So it was like, and I'm in a beautiful Oak tree. So Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of getting all the B roll and everything. And, you know, it's about, so to kind of paint the picture when I'm in the tree, I'm sitting at the, like I said, the Northwest point and then looking down the lane. So when I refer to the lane, it's the food plot lane. And I can see down it for 80 yards. And then at the end of it, it starts to be like tall, like um, there's like a little wet area. So there's like cattails and then it gets into some CRP. And um, so I can see about 80 yards down there. But that's the only place I can see. Literally, I can see the corn over to my right. I can see like a little pockets, the corn edge which is about 30 yards away. So if any deer moving through there, I could catch a glimpse of them. So I'm sitting there and um, I look down the lane. It's about 10 after six. And I see like what I think is like the top of a deer's back. And it's just inside the CRP grass. And I hurry up and I pick my binoculars up and the deer picks his head up and I just see a big G2 on the left side. And I'm like, oh boy. And right when I saw that, he's walking like into like the corn. And I'm like, I have no idea who it was, but I said, no doubter. That's why I text you. I'm like, no doubter, shooter within 80 yards right now. And this is at 10 after six, you know, and I'm like thinking I wouldn't see deer until like closer to seven. I'm like, okay, so maybe he'll work the corn edge. Cause I'm thinking, you know, where my camera's located, he could J hook in underneath the tree to get the wind right. And come into that scrape. And I'm like, he's going to be right in my lap. That's going to be perfect. I wait there and I wait there and I wait there. Like 20 minutes goes by and nothing. I'm like, well, all right, maybe I'll just, I'll just sit here and see what happens. And uh, it wasn't too much longer. I hear a twig snap down at the end of the lane. I look up and here comes this little eight pointer, this, you know, from a, from another location. It wasn't that deer that I saw before. He's a good looking eight point. I've never seen him before never seen this deer before he's got like um on his base on his right side like where his g2 is he's got like another point that comes straight off a little bit but he's a year and a half Hmm. and it was like that's cool deer i'm like trying to trying to picture like who it is and i can't can't figure it out well no sooner he's walking right down the lane at me in the food plot eating here comes another buck behind him and he's a little bigger he's like an 80 inch eight pointer i'm like okay all right here we go you know and all of a sudden a twig snap over to the right where this buck was, or where the first buck went, you know, the shooter. And I'm like, oh, here we go, baby. And uh, I look over and coming through the thick stuff, 
here comes this little seven point. I mean, just a little shit cutter. You just, just, uh, <laughs> just a little dude. And he's all bristled up. He's like, let's dance, boys. He proceeds to go between these two bucks and all three of them getting a Donnie Brook. For 15 minutes, I'm filming them and they're just clanking horns, just antlers, not horns. Deer don't have horns. They're just crack, 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 crack. And I'm like, man, you know, if that buck is in the corn, this might get him a little riled up. You know, there's a lot of guys that swear by just tickling the antlers together, mm-hmm. um, you know, in early season gets these deer riled up. <clears throat> and uh, I just sit there and watch these deer for, like, like I said, 15, 20 minutes. And something catches, the, they're down, you know, 30 yards playing around with the scrape and fighting and everything. Then they come right underneath me and they're just kind of playing around. Then I catch something at the end of the lane again. I look up and here's a doe and a fawn. And they're kind of going away from me. They're they're cutting across the lane, going away from me. Okay, so I got three bu- or four bucks, four different bucks, and um, and two does. Good night so far. Like I'm, I am happy. I'm like this is this is good. You and I are texting, and you're uh you're going like halvesies on a buck that you're like, oh, should I kill him? Because we're going back and text, you know. And you're like thinking, I know what you ha- what you had going on, so. Um, I, I, I was throwing milkweed too all night and it was, it was holding true. You know, the wind was hitting me in the face and going behind me and it was perfect. And, uh, behind me was an open field. So I didn't have any, didn't even thought any deer were going to come in there. So it gets to be about, let me think. Well, those three bucks, they kind of work off. Okay. I forgot about this. They work off to the right of me and they're, they're in the thick timber between the food plot and the in the standing corn and i can't really see them i can hear them crash around a little bit and they're kind of working away from me and all of a sudden i just hear this tree getting destroyed and i'm like oh here he comes you know big dudes coming in to like challenge the three little whippersnappers you know and uh i can't see anything though i can see the top of the tree just getting worked you know above everything can't see it and I don't think it's those the little box. And this deer's just working this tree. So I'm I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, one of the little bucks jumps out in the food plot, and another one jumps out, and another one jumps out, and I got my bow, and I'm like, okay, fourth one, here we go, baby. And if I if I see a kick up beam with a nice left side, you know, heavy mass, oh, <laughs> done, those we're done, you know. <laughs> and they're all jumping out at like. 40 35 40 yards i'm like and they just they jump so they it, so the bow's off the hanger the bow's off the hanger the bow's right been now. off the hanger for 30 minutes <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah that was off the I hanger for like 30 minutes <laughs> um and so those three bucks they kind of jump out and then they just walk away from me down the lane you know and i could see glimpse of them of them in the crp like just kind of like dancing around having fun kind of thing fourth mm-hmm. buck didn't come out so i have no idea where the fourth buck is this is, so I saw that first buck, the shooter buck, at 10 after 6. This is 7.15-ish, so it's been an hour. So I'm like, well, maybe he worked down the corn, which made sense because it was a south wind, and if he wanted to go down the corn edge, he had the south wind right in his face, and I'm like, he's not going to come to me, you know? Mm-hmm. So off to the right, this is, this is uh, so it was 11 minutes, I'm trying to think here. 11 minutes, so it would have been 7, 
723. Those little bucks just worked off. Um, I hear something in the corn to my right. And I look over and I can see corn stalks moving. And I'm like, okay. Is he making his way now? Is he coming in now? I can kind of see a deer. Don't know what it is. But then I see two deer and I'm like, shit. Like, it's probably not. Like, I figured this deer would be by himself. All mm-hmm. all last year, he spent a lot of time by himself. And um, so the deer start walking in from the corn and they're coming through all the thick stuff. And I can just see brush moving. I can't see a deer. I think I've established that it's pretty thick in here, right? <laughs> so, um, she's thick. Yeah. So the the so like if you guys can envision the lane, okay, from from my tree, the lane, right on the right side of the lane that goes the whole length of the lane is standing water. It's the creek. So the creek, a lot of deer jump over the creek to get into the the food plot. So I'm watching the creek right right and it's right next to the licking branch. And I see a deer pop out and I can see it's a fawn and I'm like, okay. So then another fawn pops out and then mama comes out. So it was those three in the corn and they're all single file line drinking right there. And this is, like I said, seven twenty-five ish somewhere in there. So then they, then they proceed to go through the water and get into the food plot and they're, they're all at like 30 yards and they're eating and <clears throat> all that stuff. And I, I hit record on the camera, both cameras. So they're all dead rolling. And I grabbed my bow. So I got my bow in my hand and I'm thinking, cause it's getting like low light in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, if something happens here, it could happen pretty fast. And I don't, and it's so calm. I don't want to have to grab my bow, make a noise or anything. So I just grabbed my bow and I was holding on to it. Just watching. And I'm watching the doe. She's at about, she's right at the scrape. So she's at 30 yards. Actually, she was just beyond the scrape, so she was at 30 yards because the scrape's at 29. And uh, the, do- the the fawns are just kind of messing around, and all of a sudden the doe just pops her head up and looks back down the lane away from me. And I look up, and all I see is a rack. And I'm like, boom, there he is. I knew it was him. Uh, right away, okay, so he had, I seen the rack, and I see it was a good frame deer. I didn't know it was him right away, but I'm like, either that's him or we got another shooter in here, which I don't know who it would be because I don't, honestly, it's pretty slim pickings this year. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And uh, so he kind of puts his head down in the plot and he's eating. And then he picks his head up and he looks at me. And then his one beam, his right side beam kind of comes down and makes a cock, like it kind of cocks up. And I saw that mm-hmm. right away and I'm like, there's no go. And he's at like 75 yards. And I'm like, so then I can, I'm getting chills right now as I'm like, cause I know you, you haven't heard this story yet. This is literally the first uh-uh. time DJ's heard this story. Yeah. And, um, he starts walking at me and my, my heart is just pounding. Okay. So at 40 yards, a big tree had fell at some point last year into the food plot, right over the plot. Or the opening, I should say. It wasn't a plot at the time. So when I went in there with a chainsaw, that's something I forgot too. I went in there and did a whole bunch of chainsaw work this year too. So when I went in there with a chainsaw, I knew it was 40 yards from the tree, but it kind of, I, I cut the tree shorter. I let the tree hang out into the, into the plot a little bit more. So they had to neck around. So it kind of neck them down. Cause I was thinking I could get another location 
around that and make it kind of like an hourglass shape. So they had to mm-hmm. come through there because it's thick on both sides. So he's walking in. He gets to 60. He gets to 50. And he's right behind that deadfall or that big tree. And he's just hanging out there in the water. He's, he's drinking water. So I'm like, just, just come on this side. Just once you get in within 40, you're done. I will shoot you within 40. And these does are just watching him. Okay. And he sticks his head up. I see his tines. I'm like, I, you know, I, I confirmed that it was him again. And, um, he comes around the tree and he makes the hourglass, you know, comes right. And now he's within 40. And I'm like, I'm clipped on, clipped on. He's coming right at me. And I'm like, this is, this is going to happen. He comes up to the doe and he sticks his nose out. Like, you know, he does the neck stretch, the deer do the neck stretch. And mm-hmm. he's trying to sniff her and he's like, kind of like lip, lipping a little bit. She and her fawn, one of her fawns runs right to the base of my tree. And I'm like, shit, he's going to come tight. And I have a limb out here. Like, I, I can't shoot where she's at because there's a limb there. So I go and I move the camera, just getting ready for him to walk into the camera if he does. And I was going to, I was going to full frontal again if I had to, you mm-hmm. know? And, uh, but no, he stops right at the licking branch and he kind of like lost, lost track of her. So then I like move the camera back up and I'm like, okay, I clip back on. Or the my my release was already clipped on with the you know because I'm using the forefinger now, so I just go back from the camera and he's perfectly in focus, framed up, zoomed in, and all of a sudden I look up from the camera and I grab my release and he's going up on on his back two legs and he's just working that branch. I mean he is just putting on a show, Broadway if you were if you will, and um <clears throat> he's working that branch and he comes down on all fours. And then he just starts raking brassicas out of the freaking ground. Just working that scrape. I go to full draw. He's completely broadside. No, has no idea I'm here. The does have no idea. I go to full draw. And then he hunches back. And he. I remember watching him get it, put his two hocks together. And he's peeing in the scrape on himself. And I'm like, man, like I gotta. this is my chance. Because, you know, a lot of times deer... I thought to my head, like when they get done peeing themselves or peeing, like they're going to move. Like they're probably, he, mm-hmm. I figured he was probably going to come in tight. So I want to real quick, I want to pause because, um, you know, I, I shot that bow league, Kevin and I shot that bow league this year. And one of my biggest issues all league was, um, I would have, I, my pin would get trapped low. Okay. And I, I would not be able to get my pin up. And a lot of times I would rush it and I'd pull the pin up and then I, cause I'm a command shooter. I've, I've said it before. The bow doesn't surprise me when I go off. I tell the bow when it's going to go off. That's just how I've always been. And so when I was shooting this league, I would just like raise up. And when it was hovering on the target, I'd just cut it loose, you know, and it, it I might pull it a little bit. I'm like, God, I can't do that. Like you gotta slow down, you know? So fast forward. To October 1st at 7.32 in the afternoon, I'm full draw with this deer at 29 yards. I, I punch the Garmin, and he's at 29 yards, and I get a 29-yard pin. And my pin is trapped on his leg, and I cannot get my pin up. Like, I'm just sitting there, and, and I, re- <coughs> excuse me. I reverted back to shooting my bow all summer in this league. 
And I told myself, I said, relax. Right there. I just said, relax. And when I said, relax, my pin just started moving up and it gets right up and I'm right there. And I'm like, yep. And I just said, just, just touch it off. And I just let it go. Okay. And it just makes the biggest what you know, just, and he, he meal kicks and he runs 80 yards down the lane, straight down the lane. And he stops. Okay. He stops. I know the arrow blitzed right through him. I saw the knock go right through him. And he stops at 80 yards and he's looking around. And this is what's happened when I've shot these helix broadheads to every deer I've shot with these things. He looks around, looks left, he looks right, flicks his tail once, flicks his tail twice, flicks his tail three times, walks a little bit, stops, looks around like kind of like what the, the does, they didn't really move. They kind of like, they kind of ran a little bit, but they're like also like, what was that? You know, don't really know what that Mm -hmm. was. And all of a sudden he just literally just walks off uh, out into the CRP, like in the tall grass. And then I lost him. and I'm like, Oh my God. And then it hit me. Like, then I start shaking and I just, you know, just adrenaline dump, you know? And I do want to call out the Ross Biggert when you go full drawn a buck and you just say, you are so fucked. That went through my head too. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you're so done. And, um, shout out to Ross Biggert from working class bow hunter. But, um, so he walks off and then I call Alyssa and Peyton and <laughs> I was FaceTiming or Peyton goes, I want to FaceTime you, dad. And I was like, well, let me just put you on speakerphone. And she goes, dad, did you shoot a big buck? I said, I shot no go. And she goes, dad, it's Mr. Top Hat. You shot Mr. Top Hat. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. I shot Mr. Top Hat. So she called get, me out. Get it, get it straight, dad. Come yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> she called me out. and um. And then I called you and, you know, and, and, uh, it was, uh, after, after I called you or when I called you, I hadn't looked back at the footage. Like I know the shot felt really good. I just didn't know where it hit him. So I called you and told you and everything. And and then I went back and looked at the footage and I mean, right when I watched, I'm like, he is so done like Mm -hmm. back just a touch, but good center mass. And, um, yeah. You know, I, I was I was I was thinking about that, you know, how you, you said back just a touch. But and I haven't heard the story yet. But when you talked about you think about what a white tail does when they start to piss on their, their back legs. They kinda hunch themselves up a little bit. And that could be that could have been where your, you know, back just a just a hair came from is how his body like they kinda squish themselves up when they do that. Because right before he did that, he's probably stretched all the way out. Yes, and I thought about that, DJ, and how if I was more like in the moment, and it's really hard when you're there because I'm trying to self-film. Oh, yeah. Trying to self-film, mm-hmm. trying to make sure the does don't see me going to full draw, a lot of eyes around. And in hindsight, if I could go back, I would have shot him before he would have peed on himself. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. he's still stretched out, head up, you know, in the scrape, stuff like that. But, I mean... I because you can see his body. I mean, when you when everybody watches this footage, you can see in his body his legs come together close, and it kind of scrunches his body up, like you said, you know. Yep. And mm-hmm. and his and his front shoulders are almost back a little bit, almost protecting his heart and a little bit of lungs. So, um, but yeah, it, you know, shot him. I probably spent probably a half hour in the tree afterwards, picking up all my stuff, calling people, and 
you know, letting the latitude guys, letting all those guys know I called Corey and, and group texts and everything like that. And just kind of let them, everybody know what was going on. And, you know, I had a good feeling, but I will say ever since Alex was deer last year, you know, I, I think differently, like, you know, even though mm-hmm. it looks like a pinwheel, you know, you really gotta, you really gotta kind of go into the situation thinking that it, it it's not as good of a hit as you think it is just to keep you even, even Steven here. And so I finally get down and I just, I want to go check my arrow. I go up to my arrow and whoo, baby, she is painted red. I mean, yeah, got some bubbles covered. in it, bubbles in it, red blood, you know, because blood is red, you know, and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, I left the arrow there and, uh, went back home and it's going to give the deer time called Tyler Bentley, my good friend, our good friend, Tyler Bentley, and asked him if he would do a recovery, film the recovery for him. He's like, I'll be there, man. Let's do it. So he lives an hour away. So I had to wait for him to come and help. And I got it. I really, before we get too much farther, I got a couple people I really need to shout out. One is a good friend of mine. His name is Phil Ludwig. He has, he is such a good dude. Uh, last year he helped me get out both of my bucks and was accommodating enough to help or let me use a walk-in cooler to keep my deer hung, you know, and basically give me every service that he has at his fingertips, you know, when it's hot to, to keep a deer cool and, and help me track deer. So Phil, thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it. And your cousin, Bo. So his cousin from Wisconsin was here hunting with him. So he came out and Tyler, I, Tyler, I can't thank him enough either. He's just been over the years, such a really good friend to me in general, but like he'll, he'll drop anything on a dime and, and come help me. And doesn't matter basically how far it is. Like he's just been a super awesome dude and very talented, you know, talented guy as well. So, um, he came up and, you know, we didn't, we didn't get on the blood trail until a little after 11 because it, which in turn, looking back at now, I'm glad we did wait. Um, so I don't know if you have any questions or thing. I was just going to keep talking, I guess. No, I, I got a few questions for you at the end of your story. So okay. keep, keep it rolling. Buddy. Okay. So we, we go out there and we, you know, we're, we're filming everything. Walk up to the arrow, look at the arrow. Arrow still looks really good. And the blood, I mean, I shot him with a Helix FJ4. The blood was awesome. Immaculate. Like right at impact, sprayed everywhere. A walking blood path or blood blood path blood trail trail <laughs> for a hundred yards, and then when he hit that CRP, like literally it was the hardest tracking. I and I'm not saying it was the broadhead's fault, but if anybody's ever tracked in CRP that's up to your neck, literally up to your neck, it is so hard to find blood. And you know, so we're, we're searching and it, it for 45 minutes to an hour, we're like stumped. Like, where did he go? And now we're walking down like, like runways, you know, and seeing if he scraped up on anything. Finally, Phil finds some blood on a runway and we just kind of start taking it, find more blood, more blood. And, uh, at the end of the blood trail, there was a pot of gold. <laughs> there he is what did uh when you when you first i always like to ask you know people these questions when they when they kill a buck you know when when you first walk up to him are you uh 
you walk up to them and, and just kind of, you know, take that couple seconds in and look at them? Or are you instantly grabbing, you know, grabbing his rack out of those weeds, picking it up and looking at him? What, what, what do you do? So he fell on, so he's got a really good left side and his, his right side's still good, but it's kind of weak, weaker than his left side. Um, mm-hmm. and he fell on his right side. So his good side was up and he was kind of in the, he was in the CRP and Phil was standing and the other guys were kind of making their way over and I was standing there and I, I just, my first initial thought was seeing that left side was what was I thinking that I was going to pass that deer up? That deer is way better than I thought. Like I kind of got the tomfoolery hooked on me of like, you know, he's not, he doesn't have great time length, but his mass is ridiculous. His mass is, mm-hmm. his brows are ridiculous. His bases, when we measured his bases, were five inches. <laughs> like he just mm-hmm. ridiculous mass. And yeah. you know the dark stuff on his beams? It's mm-hmm. all velvet that's still on there. Oh, really? Yeah, it's dried up velvet that he can't get off of there. Really? Yeah, it's really cool, actually. That is cool. Yeah. Are are you gonna is there a way to make sure that stays on there or stays I hope like so. that? I, there's gotta be a way. Yeah. There's gotta be a way. I, I really I would, hope so. Yeah, I would definitely be checking into that. Yeah. You know, but um for for I want you to kind of tell you know, break that break this down for the listeners. In the beginning of this episode, and even on my season episode, you hear us talk a lot about how hot it was. And maybe the conditions weren't all that great that day. But looking back, Aaron, your your hunt, like you you were covered up in deer. Do you at all think that the weather, you know, dictated how the deer were going to move that night? No, not at all. Because yeah. I talked to you, I talked to uh, one of my buddies, saw nine different bucks. Uh, another one of my buddies saw eight different bucks that night. Um, I know of two guys that shot really good bucks, uh, other than me. Across the board, the people I knew and the people that I talked to had great deer movement. And, you know, I don't know if that was a, a a product of like, I really think, okay, so to go back, that first buck that I saw, that shooter buck, the G2, I think was no go. Because when I look back at the footage, the way that he came into the food plot when I shot him is where that shooter buck went into the corn. So I'm almost wondering if he went into the corn, staged up for a while and then just was like, okay, I'm safe now. I can come in, hit that scrape. I'm going to come check these does out. And that's kind of what was his demise. But so I think it was him. So I saw five different bucks. I think it was five. I did see one other little buck. I forgot to talk about just like a, a little spike or a, a fork horn. I couldn't really tell. I could just kind of see him going through the brush. I seen five different bucks that I know of for sure, possibly six, but I do think that first shooter buck was no go. I really do. So I would say five. Yeah. I mean, and I'm talking about one acre. All these all these deer were in a one eight in the one acre. Not at the same time, but like they all passed through there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that just goes to show you that's that's an anomaly for me. Like if I go out and can see one deer in there, that is that's pretty good. You know? Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. I got I got one other thing. You know, and this is something that I haven't been able to really take in myself you know the the enjoyment of really working on a piece of property and changing it for the better for yourself for hunting that's got to feel something special but i also wanted to hit on this aaron and this off season you talked a lot about kind of up in your scrape game what did it feel like not only like 
seeing him show up on one of your scrapes, you know, back in the summertime, but then coming full circle and actually shooting him on a scrape that you built purposely for a buck in that area. Dude, you nailed it. And I kind of forgot about it, but, um, so before the, I'm going to go back before the farmer cut that path through there. I had trimmed out like a small area in the middle of the one acre, just like a little round that I put like it literally, you could barely probably fit my pickup in it. It wasn't that big, but it was the only open area and it was flat ground. And I would throw clover in there and I put a licking branch in there and they would use the hell out of it. Well, where that was located is not good for a hunting location. And if I want to, if I'm going to put a scrape somewhere, I want to be able to shoot it. That's my philosophy. Mm -hmm. Not saying that's for everybody, but I mean, I'm trying to get a deer in a spot. Why not put the spot right in front of me where I can shoot it? So this spring, when I put that tree in the ground, I went over, because remember I said I was doing some chainsaw work. I cut that other tree down and the branches that were on that tree, I moved over and put on this other tree. I zip tied them to this other tree. That's something I got from you. So eliminating a scrape and moving it literally about 30 yards was, was the difference because I totally mm-hmm. changed the deer movement in there. Usually they'd come in there and they'd hit that open spot. They don't do that anymore. And I really think it was because of that scrape, but you know, I added a vine to it as well. And to be able to, like you said, manipulate deer to do that and come to a spot and it's only been there since the spring, it's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's like Troy talks about trapping him. You know, I, tra- mm-hmm. I trapped him, got him, got his feet in the trap and, 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 you know, got it done. Like that was, that was really neat. And, you know, I really didn't think about it until you kind of brought it up to me is like, that's cool how something like a plan like that works. And, um, yeah, looking back at it, now I have the cool thing about it is now I have like a formula that I know if I can do that in a, in a, you know, Location's everything. You always say it too. You've taught me that. Location for scrapes is everything. So if you can find the location and get the right location and get the right formula as far as maybe a licking branch or a vine or something like that, it can be deadly, man. Yeah. No, it's it was awesome to follow along, you know, and, and as much as, you know, the listeners they'll get to hear this podcast and and see the pictures of them where it's like, you know, having this podcast really allows you to kind of tell everything that goes into that picture that they get to see on social media and you know me where i stand with that it's like man it's it's people just don't ever understand yeah i mean there are guys that understand what kind of work it takes but for a lot of people they just see the picture you know where it's like no this was this was a year round a full calendar year of you know learning this buck's habitats habitats from last fall finding him you know building the scrape monitoring him having to stay out like all of that, all of that to go into one sit, but you strategically took his ass out of there. And I love it, dude. So, hey, congratulations on Top Hat. Appreciate it. <laughs> Appreciate it. Top Hat, no go, whatever. Don't ask my daughter yeah, if whatever. it's no go. She will put yeah. you in your place. <laughs> so. Yeah. I don't, hey, I, I don't want to get on her bad side. That's why I said a Top Hat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, still kind of feel like it not that it didn't happen but it's it's kind of a different feeling it's like wow i have one sit one kill like i wish i could draw it up like that every year but it doesn't it just doesn't happen that way and at the end of the day 
in all honesty, I went with the numbers and went to the spot that I could in hopes to see him, and it just it just worked out. Um, so, and I I have a lot to thank to that, and you know, as far as the situation, the setup. But the number one thing I think it really helped me in there is I really think he was bedded at the end of that lane, about ninety to hundred yards away, and I think my entry and everything that I did before I got in the tree was like what killed that deer. I really do. I firmly, uh-huh. I firmly believe that. One hundred and ten percent. You know, you if you got sloppy on your entry that day. That hunt doesn't that hunt doesn't unfold the way it does. Aaron. Yeah, it it truly doesn't. You know, and as you know, people can talk about strategies all they want, but if you if you can't figure out how to get a good entry route to go kill the buck you're after, the, your strategy don't matter at that point. So yep. yeah, that hundred ten percent your 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 entry your thought out process of how to get into that kill location is you're right. It's that that's what killed that buck for sure. Yeah, that's all I got. I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out some partners here real quick if if you don't have anything else. No, have at it, buddy. Cool. If you guys uh want to know any more about any of the products that we talk about on this podcast or even on today's podcast, check out Latitude Outdoors, Helix Broadheads, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Garmin, Buck Bourbon, Prime Archery, and America's Best Bowstrings. I've got a lot of codes for that. Uh if you check out the show notes. You can uh, see the codes and save some money on all those partners. I can't thank those partners enough for all the support. And also, don't forget to go to thefallpodcast.com. It's not the fall podcast. It's actually fallpodcast.com. And uh, check out our merch. David, we said on last week's podcast that if you guys buy a Realtree original hat or a multi-cam hat, which we still do have some in stock, and you post the first one to post a picture and tag us with that hat on killing a deer. Actually, I want to go on a limb and I th- no, I didn't I didn't wear the hat. I didn't wear the hat. I had to I wear my gonna, lucky hat. I was just about to say I was going to say, say you I, do I not won, count, I just dude. about won it. <laughs> what are you what are you going to do? Walk over into the shipping department and go grab yourself a t-shirt and a hat? <laughs> yeah, uh no, but the deal was I wore my lucky hat and we we should yeah. do a podcast about a lucky hat because that one's got <laughs> a lot of years behind it. But um, no, the deal was the first person to post on Instagram and, and tag us in that you've killed a a deer. I'm just going to say deer. Did you want to do it as a buck? I was cool with it. Just deer. a deer. Just any, a deer, man. Any flavor, as long as you do it legal beagle, uh, tag us in that and we will give you, David's going to send you a couple koozies. I'm going to send you either a Riley hat or an AB hat and uh, I'll send you a shirt and i think a shirt i i don't have yeah. i don't have any hoodie i don't have any large hoodies right now i'm trying to get those back in stock but i'll send you a shirt as well so yeah make sure you do that guys appreciate all the support and all the downloads you got uh anything to say no good luck to everyone out there i mean <laughs> i know it's opening day and it, it sounds like we already had one hell of a story but uh still a long season ahead good luck to everyone out there hunting and congrats again buddy Thanks, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And good luck, everybody out there. If you guys have any stories and want to share them, hit us up on uh, social media, and we'd love to hear your story. So thank you guys very much. And uh, I guess season 23, October 1st update is commenced. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.
I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.